Alrighty, well today we are going to sit down and talk about something that is near and dear to my heart and that is the uh, idea and the topic of foster care and adoption. And today's podcast is going to be a little different. Instead of sitting down one-on-one and doing an interview, we're doing a, a roundtable of folks who have experienced foster care and adoption in an individual and unique way. So uh, before we get started, we're just going to go around this circle real quick and let everyone introduce themselves so you can have an idea of, since no one can sit here and see everyone who's sitting here, they can get an idea of who is here. Um, as always, I am Grant, um, leading this podcast, and go right ahead. I'm Kyla. I'm Grant's wife. Anaya. I'm Justin, Anaya's father. Alyssa. I am Chris. I'm a adopted dad and former foster dad and safe family's dad. I'm Glenn. I'm uh, Grant's dad and Kyle's father-in-law. And I'm Carrie, and I'm Glenn's wife, and I'm Grant's mom, and I'm Kyla's other mom. And then we have another son together that is 17 and a half. That's just so hard to say. <laughs> and um, his name is Hunt, and Hunt came to us um, through adoption. And I bit the bullet and actually am going public with my parents this time, so... Don't hold that against me. But uh, <laughs> we're just going to dive into today's discussion. And, and as we talked a little bit about off air, um, today's podcast is just going to be a conversation about the uh, topics of of uh, adoption and of foster care. So um, the first thing I'd like to talk about is just how this came to be. So and, and whoever has answered this and whoever wants to start first, this idea of adoption, this idea of foster care, was it something that you guys always aspired to do, or how did this idea become planted within you? I think with us, um, Grant was born, and he was biological, and um, we knew we wanted more children. When Grant was not quite a year old, we found out that I had cancer and had to have surgery, so I couldn't um, have any more biological children. But it was funny because that had never mattered to Glenn and I anyway. We we loved kids in any setting, and so we started trying to adopt. And uh, we first started through a, an adoption agency in Texas and had uh, probably three different adoptions that fell through uh, to the point to where you're getting ready to get on a plane uh, to, to go meet your, your new child. And so we thought, well, I think we're just going to take a break for right now and uh, try to decide what it is that God wants us to do. We thought, well, maybe God doesn't have this in our plans. Maybe it's just all in our heads, in our hearts. And um, then it turned out that when Grant was 10 and a half, that we were on vacation. And long story short, got this phone call that there was a, a little boy for us. And so we met Hunt the next day, and he was seven weeks old when he came home to us. And just has been a huge blessing. And Glenn and I just, we love children. And also, it's how we are adopted into God's family. I think that that that's how we see bringing children into our family. Don't you think so, Glenn? I think so. And we've always, at least for me, I coached a lot. And it was, yeah. when I coached the kids and they were on the field, they became my own. So adoption to me, was no different. It was a part of my life. I actually adopted many kids for a short period of time when I coached them because uh, if they played for me, they were a part of my life. Uh, they invested their time in me, and I invested my time in them. And and we always wanted the children, and when, when we found out we couldn't have any more biological children, the next obvious route to go was 
the adoption route. And I think why some of the other adoptions didn't work out. Um, I came from a family of a lot of males, and I wanted a daughter. I sort of had in my mind what I wanted, and God had a different plan. He had a, a certain little guy that he wanted to be in our life. And once we realized that when Grant was born, all we asked for was that if he was healthy, we didn't care if he was a boy or a girl. And if he wasn't healthy, we were going to be there, and God gave us the will and the strength to take care of him. And when we finally got to that attitude in the adoption process, then all of a sudden the phone call came out of the blue for us, but not out of the blue for God. He knew he was waiting for us to be prepared for the right little guy to come into our life. Yeah, he had him picked out the whole time. That's yeah. what's so amazing is when you realize it later on that we may not know what's going on at the time and have so many questions, but by golly, later on, then it's revealed to us. I have a story similar to Glenn's and a whole bunch of coaching and always loved coaching kids and this similar thought processes in many ways. They're like your own kids. And the parents used to joke that, uh, yeah, but you don't have to go home with them or, you know, <laughs> at the end of the season, you're free of them. And I used to get frustrated because I wanted to stay in their lives and have them stay in my life. And so one thing led to another. I ended up in a foster training class, talked myself out of it, went through the class again a couple of years later and ended up... Um, 12-year-old Nick coming into my home and uh, stayed with me for 17 months, ended up being reunified with his family and pretty good success story. And sometime after that, ended up in a, a stumbling into an orphanage in Nicaragua and uh, met a boy and a girl who have become my adopted son and daughter. And uh, throughout that process, just uh, a couple things kept coming to mind is it's, it's not about me. Uh, we talk about our needs and what we want. And ultimately, what I think what we really have to focus on is is there a child or a sibling group that needs me, that needs a family, and uh, kind of switch that focus from what I need to what they might need? And then the other thing that just kept popping up in my life and continues to is, is God calling you to do this? Is this, this whether it's fostering, adopting, or hosting kids, is, is high challenge, high commitment. Uh, it can be very much um, uh, challenging, but also very joyful. And so if God calls you to do it, you can do it. And it's a blessing and it will change your life and change your family. Uh, and so I just encourage people to ask those questions. You know, what, what does a child in my community or in the world need from me? And what's God calling me to do? Yeah, I think, I think for me, you know, the, the love of children was always on my heart, but not necessarily foster care or adoption that, that kind of developed over, over a few years. And, um, after I had my, my biological child, I had a, a daughter, um, when she was about two and a half, um, I, I wanted a sibling experience for her, but wasn't in a place in my life where there was going to be more biological children. So that's when I started to explore foster care. Um, I think I went into that experience not, I think some people go into the foster adoption experience saying the goal is adoption. You know, I'll uh -huh. foster, but the goal is adoption. And I didn't go into it with that um, mindset. The goal was foster. And if God told me that one of these children was supposed to be mine for the long haul, then then I would. But I, I'm here, you know, as I tell the kids, I'm, I'm the backup mom. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. when your mom can't handle the mom job or needs help doing the mom job, I'm the backup mom just to help out until your mom's ready. Um you know, and um, I I have adopted one child. She came to my home at 12, and she's adopted her at 13, and she's 15 now. Um, but outside of my 7 and my 15-year-old, there have been 11 other children that have come and gone 
through my home. And, and that's mainly what I feel I feel called to is more the foster care journey. And I don't think God's done putting permanent children in my life, but he hasn't told me there's, there's not, there's not, we're not there yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I had such a good story like you guys. I actually didn't love children. I was terrified of children. Uh, it was just really going to be a father because my wife really wanted to be like a mom, you know. So we were able to have one biological child, which we found out later was a miracle child. We shouldn't have been able to have children. And that kind of propelled us to go down the adoption road. And we adopted our daughter, Layla, from China with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. And I was born with one. So it was an incredible experience to go back through that journey with her. And I feel like God has kind of awakened in me a love for children, a love for being a father on the back end of this thing. It's not something I went into it with. And then after that, we just knew we, we, knew we weren't going to do an international adoption again. But we also knew there was kids in our backyard that needed a home. And that's when God uh, put us into the foster care system. And we've seen... Some incredible things of young drug-addicted babies coming to our home and God healing them. And it's been a wonderful journey. We've had six or seven children come through. We've adopted three children um, and are currently fostering at this time. And for Kyle and I, as she's over there coughing, um, for Kyle and I, <laughs> you're fine. Um, for us, we're, we're kind of new in this process, and it's something that um, we talked a little bit off the air about our story. And... Um, this summer we're going to start going through classes to uh, uh, to be foster parents and um, doing it in a unique way with my parents who are here today, um, doing it all four of us together in the same house and, and um, something that I don't think we ever planned on doing. Yeah. And if you would have asked me in high school, I would have said, I will move to Alaska before I live with my parents when I'm married. Um, but <laughs> it's something, a second to that. Exactly. And it's something that uh, God called us to and um, God called us, Kyle and I, separately um, before we we were both scared to talk to one another about this idea of fostering um, and he called us to that and that's brought us to where we are today and um, so doing this podcast is selfishly as much I think for us as it is for people who I believe listen to this podcast who might find themselves in the same situation um, so We've been excited about sitting down with you guys because you bring a perspective to folks like ourselves who, you know, I grew up in a home with uh, that has gone through the, uh, this adoption process but never foster care. And foster care was always something that scared the crap out of me because I didn't know how I could. You know, you talked to us about 11 kids coming through your home. You know, I thought, how can I do that? How can I my heart would go with every kid that leaves, and I'm sure part of yours does every time that happens. You know, every child in every situation is different. Even if they come in under similar circumstances, it's different. And sometimes you know it's going to be a short placement. You know it's just going to be for a little bit. Um, so the attachment's not you know, a child that spends a week with you isn't, you're not as attached to as a child that spends years with you. Mm -hmm. um, but even, even given that, you know, frankly, there's some children that you're like relieved when they, you know, right. they move on and they're still, you're still, you know, okay. You know, you're still, there's still some sadness. There's still some melancholy that goes with that, but the season is over for them to be in your home. And there's some relief to kind of get, get your family back. Um, but then there are times that it's, it's heart wrenching when you've devoted years to a child 
and maybe you're the only parent that they really know and then they move on that is that is heart-wrenching um but a hundred percent worth it a hundred percent worth it grant you talked about uh, one of the key questions that a lot of people ask when they're thinking about whether to get involved in foster care is i don't know if i could love a child and then send them back Mm -hmm. and uh while that's a real raw emotion that we all have um one of the things Justin told me is we have to kind of shift our thinking from what is my human definition of love, which is about, you know, hugs and feelings and stuff, which is fine, and kind of focus on what is some of God's definitions of love. And, uh, you know, when he talks about love is to give up your life for someone else. And so when you when you shift those perspectives, it starts to become a little bit easier. It's still a challenge because we're all humans. And uh, you mentioned you're probably going to go through the training here uh, in the future for foster training. One of the things that will happen prior is Justin will lead a session called a spiritual boot camp that really helps us focus on what does God say about bringing someone else's children into your home. It's really powerful. And for I think for those who are listening who uh, maybe like to have foster care training come to their church, I'm sure Justin would love to come into the church and share that spiritual boot camp perspective because it really helps set the groundwork for why am I doing this and am I called to do it. Way to look at it. I, I actually read something that addresses a little bit of that, and it's you don't you don't walk away from foster care because you're afraid of being hurt by the love you give that might have to move on, but you walk to foster care because you're afraid that there's a child out there that may never have the experience of love if you aren't willing to bring it to the table, mm-hmm. and that that really resonates with me. In that I can't I can't be afraid of what my heart's going to hurt, you know, if the love is gone, these children might not ever have a feeling of what it means to be fully loved if I'm not going to be the one that brings it. And to follow up with that, um, in my line of work, I deal with kids that come in and out on sometimes five weeks, sometimes longer, depending on um, their situation. But a lot of them are foster children who have been in the system for months, years, um, I can't get into specifics, but I've noticed um, here lately, I've been there for almost five months now working with children who have behavior um, disorders or issues that um, obviously impact their life and their family's life in a way that's negative. Um, So our job is to change these behaviors so that they can live a more normal lifestyle um, through like positive reinforcement. Um, we've had, since I've been there, two kids graduate the program. Um, and just from the time where I started, which wasn't necessarily the beginning of their time there, but just from that time till the end, you, you can get attached to these kids and it's very easy to do that. And I knew going in that I was probably going to be one of those people, um, because I do get easily attached to the point where, Yes, I'm sad that they're leaving, but I loved that child while they were in my care for whatever period of time. And I know that I've at least impacted that child in some way that they're going to remember. Even though my group is four years old, I, I can guarantee that when they look back on their childhood and think of what it was like for them, even if their home life may be rough, or hard, or they may experience rough patches in their life, I can definitely say, you know, I was there for them and loved them at some point 
even if it was just for a short period of time over their lifespan. And I feel like that does make a difference even when they leave. Justin, how do you, as a family, when you have a child who has spent time with you and that child leaves, and we can all get into this, but um, how does your family handle that? Because it's not just you as the father figure of the family who is that, losing that relationship, the daily relationship you've had with that child, but your whole family just unpack it. How does your family handle that situation? Yeah, it's a great question. It's the number one question people wrestle with when they're coming into foster care. How can you possibly love a child and then leave them? And does it hurt? And the answer is, it hurts like all get out. It's incredibly painful. But as Chris was referencing, true love is when you lay your life down for somebody else. It's so hard for us as our frame of references, as our stories about us and our dreams and our passions. And so anything that gets in the way of that is an inconvenience. And I think that's the upside as not the view of the Bible, or at least the way Jesus talks about it. And he says something really crazy, like if you lose your life, you will find it. You know, that's the heart of the gospel. When you lay down your life, you will actually find it. And as we are sharing our stories, every one of us have always said that. We have found our lives when we laid it down. So that uh, that goes the same for me, my wife, and my children. I want to train my children in the gospel, in the ways of Jesus, of laying down your life so you can find it. So we embrace this as a beautiful thing, uh, not an easy thing. And so when we've given children back, it absolutely wrecks you and breaks your heart. And we grieve. I call it short of a funeral. It's like a funeral grief, but it's a good suffering. And we're really open with our children about it. And they grieve with us. And so our, your children follow your lead. So if you are throwing a temper tantrum and saying how life isn't fair, then your children will do the same thing. If you are openly grieving and on it, you're actually giving your children the opportunity to do that. So we will very, we're just open every time we say goodbye to a child. We have a ceremony. We pray over them. We love on them. We'll let them go. Uh, and then we go out and we celebrate what God had done while that child was with us. So the overall experience is really positive. Um, Anaya was with us this summer. We had a little girl that we had to say goodbye to. And uh, do you remember that, Anaya? We said goodbye to her. What was your feeling when she left? How did you feel? Happy or sad? Sad. Sad, right? But did you enjoy loving on her for a little bit? And we had a little girl go from four pounds to eight pounds in her home. We had a real rough start to life. But when we sent her off, we knew she was in a place where she could survive in the world now. She had enough like chubby cheeks and those kind of things that babies should have. That we, were, we felt good about the way we had served that little girl for the time that God had given us. So that's a real privilege. We, tr we treat it as a privilege to suffer for the king. You know, it's not a... It's not the other way around where it's it's actually good. I'm I'm far too selfish, far too immature. I need to lay down my life. Otherwise, I get consumed with myself. I just do. I wish I didn't, but I do. And I, what's it like for you when with the little baby that was there? Did um how does how does it make you feel when the when the child leaves? Sad. Sad. Okay. Do you get to what's it like spending that time with your parents um, after the child is gone? Do you do you find that um, it brings your family closer together? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And like, what do you do at night when we have little babies in our home? What's one of your jobs that you get to do to help? I hold her a lot. She's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful babies, and she loves on these little babies. And so she's a part of our team, and she gets to now give back to ones where she was receiving. She's now giving back. and. 
it's a really gift for a child to be part of a team where they contribute to the overall mission and calling of our team. So they play a really important role in our family. And Lisa, you talked about um, before a child comes in your home, talking with the rest of your family, you know, involving them into this, into the uh, the decision. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, when when we when our family feels it's the season to to start welcoming more children in, because sometimes it's a season for a break, and sometimes it's a season for for new new things. We will I will sit down with all of my children and, and talk about okay, what kind of child. You know, gender, age, you know, let's try and get a range of what what we're talking about. And my 15-year-old is adamant that there will not be anybody older than her. And that and that's not something that she takes lightly. Yes. So I'm not going to violate that. And um, my 7-year-old doesn't like somebody really close in age to her. So she's going to have a hard time with a 6- or an 8-year-old. Um, so I, I try, we try and stay out of that range too. But outside of that, um, you know, we talk about how many kids and, and, and we'll kind of get a feel for that. But when, when, um, I'm with Lighthouse, when Lighthouse calls and says, we have a child we'd like you to consider, um, if I have the time to discuss it, which sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, then I pull the family together and say, this is the child. This is what you know, we may experience if this child comes to live with us, is this something that you guys are ready to to walk with me on? And every time that I've had that conversation with him, they've always wholeheartedly said, yes, let's go for it. Um, now, there are times when a decision needs to be made much quicker mm -hmm. than wait till everybody gets home from school and let's have a conversation. Um, and if that child's description falls in the realm of what we have already talked about, then, then I will just as the head of the family say, yes, let's bring this child in. And then, you know, and then it's a big welcoming party. Sometimes <laughs> you got to, you got to buffer, you got to buffer, especially the children, their reactions, because the, the, uh, the children who are there welcoming a new child, are very excited to have this child in the home. They want to play. They want to get to know this child, but the child coming into the home has just lost everything. Um, and they aren't necessarily ready for a party um, with a bunch of strangers who are excited to have them in their home. So it's a little bit of buffering. Um, some of the things that we do, um, the seven-year-old will normally pick out an outfit or a gift um, for for the, the new child who's coming. And it might be a little toy or something like that. And um, I, when the new child comes to the home, I will have my children give them a tour of the home while I sit with the social worker and go over the paperwork. So um, it's kids kind of teaching kids about where things are in the house and our rules and our how we do things. And I kind of let the kids be a part of that. This is how our family operates. Yeah. So it's not just I'm the head of everything. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. It's a powerful approach. What you're describing, Alyssa, is making it a team approach. And then, I mean, it, it's really great. I love how you described everyone having a role and a way to welcome and being a part of that. That's what kids want, to be welcomed into a moving bigger. The bigger the family, the better, in a sense, as long as it's healthy, because there's so many more team members involved mm -hmm. in that. It's a really beautiful picture you described. Wonderful. And part of what happens in that process of families working together and working as a team is that you model to that child or to those children that are now in your home, what does a family look like? What does a healthy family look like? You know, we, we talked earlier about one of the frustrations is how do I let go of a child 
Another frustration is just wondering, have I really had any impact? This child's been with me for a period of time. What impact have I really had? Well, they may be going back to difficult situations or situations that you're uncertain of, but in the time they were in your home, they learned what does a healthy family look like? Mm -hmm. And they perhaps have learned what is it like for a man to be a positive male role model? Many times in the foster system, uh, the foster dads are the only positive male role model these kids have ever seen. And that is incredibly powerful. They, maybe, maybe they witness what's it like for a man, for a husband, to treat his wife with dignity? What's it like for a wife to treat her husband with dignity? What's it like for a, a healthy relationship between parents and children? And so it's easy to say, wow, okay, that child was reunified and did I really have any, make any difference in their lives? But just by modeling Christ-like lives and families and healthy interactions, you planted seeds in those kids that will be with them for the rest of their lives. Why is it that, in your guys' opinion, if you look over the course of history and, and even now that as Christians we feel as though, or it seems as though Christians are so called to children. Um, and even going back to looking when Christ walked this earth, Christ loved being surrounded by children. What is it about Christians and Christianity and following this God and this Christ that calls us to this ministry? I'm 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 probably the least biblical expert at this table. <laughs> but my my impression of Jesus and what he does is it was isn't just children. He came to the most vulnerable people, children or not. And in our society, you know, children are some of our most vulnerable people here. So I think if one is modeling what Jesus did you know, you go after the vulnerable people, and children are a great place to find vulnerable <laughs> people who need help. Right. They don't have any family. I mean, I think, too, when I envision God as a dad. To me, um, you know, he's, he's my father. He's, and, and I think that maybe that's another reason why I'm, or we're drawn to, to children, is because we, we are children. And I think also, children will show you unconditional love. They will show you the truth. Um, they can't help but do it because if they're young enough, they really haven't been conformed by the world to see things differently. And I think, at least for me, when I'm around children and they show that complete honesty and that unconditional love, I also feel God's spirit coming through them and that forces me to do the same thing back because uh, I also do prison ministry. When you show unconditional love to somebody that's inside a prison, it destroys all their barriers. And I think when children do that back to me, it helps me take down whatever barrier I have so I can be more open to them, more honest to them. And I think that's what draws me to the children. Um, it helps me to be more connected to God because they open up my soul and my spirit to be more receptive to the Holy Spirit and God's will. I think Jesus himself modeled uh, humility, sacrifice, selflessness, uh, all of which is part of uh, what's really important if you're going to care for someone else's children. Right? Even from the beginning, um, soon after Jesus left this earth, 
Christ followers started picking up babies that had been abandoned at the city gates. And I think that's part of the reason why Christianity spread across the world is people watching people be compassionate and caring for someone who's not theirs. It's a kind of a, it's a revolutionary concept. And so it's the very heart of opening your door through uh, whether it's adoption, fostering, or hosting to someone else's children. There's a, there's a lot of self-sacrifice there. There's a lot of humility. Uh, there's a lot of selflessness. If you are, if I am selfish, prideful, um, I'm probably not going to be very good at this journey of caring for someone else's children. So I think it's just the essence of who Jesus is and who he wants us to be. And you know, Dad talked a little bit about the prison ministry, and, and we go in a couple times every week, and he's been going in since 1993. But what you hear a lot with these men is there's a lot of men in there and, and, and women too who have gone through the foster system and bounced around and bounced around and bounced around and never found a base for their lives. They had no foundation to build the rest of their life on. Um, and I've talked to plenty of men who have gone back to their years as a child and growing up in, they can't tell you how many homes they grew up in. Um, what they remember is that, that there wasn't a loving parental figure in their lives who even if it wasn't mom or dad, just somebody in their lives who built into them and loved them and supported them. When we look at the impact, the negative impact that um, children who bounce around the foster care system can have on people, does that really put a spotlight on the importance of God's community of engaging in the foster care system? It's a good question because it's, I think we deeply underestimate how broken our world really is. Like we really do. And it was never God's intention for the government to be involved trying to raise children. It doesn't work. Everybody knows that. It just doesn't work. It takes a family. It takes a mother, a father, or some version of family to raise a child. And so the answer is not to put more money into the government, although that might be helpful. I wouldn't be opposed to that. It has got to be family standing in the gap to solve this problem, it's it, you know? Um, and so we know the foster care system is a feeder for the prison system. We just know it. And it won't change until we, the body of believers, gets involved in every aspect of this. It can't just be foster care because that's not gonna solve the systemic problems that are leading to foster care. It's really, it's really hard to be an adoptive and foster care parent because your family is built on the brokenness of somebody else. It's so unnatural. It's so wonderful, but it's unnatural and not the way God designed it for a family to blow up so you could have a kid. And so I, I walk into this with mixed emotions every time. I hate seeing the family just destroy. And I've seen a lot of them. And it's heartbreaking every time to see that, you know. So I, I think the answer is it's a lot more than we could ever solve or figure out. But there has to be some steps that everybody When, say you're talking to a family who is interested, thinking about foster care, um, and they're saying to you, uh, Chris, Alyssa, Justin, I, I, we think we want to do this, but we're not sure. Um, we're uncomfortable, but we think that we want to make a difference in, in the lives of these children. If they come to you and they say, what is the one 
piece of advice you would give me before I start, or how do I know that I'm ready to start? What would you guys tell them? I I would say take take the step and go to the class. Start down the path and get and you're going to collect information as you go down the path. You're going to get educated from the classes. You're going to meet caseworkers. You're going to meet foster parents. You're going to meet adoptive parents along this journey. If you can plug in, if your church has a support group for foster and adoptive parents, plug in there. Start meeting these people and start knowing, getting a little bit of information about what this path looks like. If you get to the point where you're done with your classes and you're at a point where you need to make a decision and you're still not there yet, maybe get your license and just do respite. You know, because there's a need for that, too. Maybe you don't take a child on a, you know, a longer term placement, but maybe you can let another foster parent have a break for a weekend because there's a lot of need for that, too. And that would allow you to dip your toes into the water to see, you know, what's it like having another child in your family? And it's just a weekend commitment or a week long commitment. Um, But I think as you head down that path, the closer you get to the point where you're going to need to make a commitment. Most of the people that I know that have gone down this path have heard if they're not supposed to do it (laughs) along the path. And they might be, they might be 15 or 20 hours in to their, to their classes when they realize this isn't, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. But I would say, take the first step. You don't have to know the whole plan. Take the first step. I agree with that. Well said. I agree with Alyssa as well. Um, just start moving. Just do something. Uh, even if it's as simple as uh, hopping on some websites and watching some videos and reading some books. What is this like? What's it going to be like? What's the experience? And uh, and just move forward. Go to an info session. Start the training. I, I, I jokingly tell people in churches all over the city, um, jump into the process because you can quit anywhere along the way. And I say that not to encourage you to quit, but I, encourage, I say that to encourage you to stop, step into the process. Mm-hmm. Learn uh, what's going on, open your eyes and your heart, and, uh, and see where it leads. And then the other piece is really even before that, uh, sit in solitude and ask God, are you calling me to do this? Are you calling my family to do this? Uh, if it's a married couple figure out uh, usually there's a we call there's a dragger and a draggy one of the married uh, partners is very much into this and the other one's not and that's fine just again get in the process and figure out at some point along that line both of you have to be on the same page that we're we're called to do this um, but ask God over and over and that might be weeks that might be months that might in my case it was years of journey asking God and wondering am I supposed to do this and and uh, and then the other piece of that is you as you ask God, um, are we supposed to do something like this? Then listen, right? We don't take the time in this busy culture to listen. Uh, listen to God. Some people say he speaks to them audibly. Others, uh, they, they get different um, messages from God. Maybe maybe a, an info session shown up in your church is God speaking to you. Maybe your pastor speaking from the pulpit about foster care and adoption is God speaking to you. Maybe the fact that your neighbor or coworker just started fostering is God speaking to you. So Connect with those people, listen and learn, and just, as Alyssa said, start on the journey and see where it leads. And we've talked a lot about the importance of the Christian community getting engaged in foster care and adoption. Why don't we? Why is it that so many Christians don't either think about it or are hesitant? I mean, we 
and I don't think it's just we can talk about this pretty much in any ministry that we want to but with foster care and adoption it seems that so many Christians are scared of this and in our society there is a stigma of foster and adoption um, but why is it to you guys that Christians don't step up to bat as often as they should I sort of think it goes back to what Justin said earlier that it was never meant to be to the government to take care of foster children, orphan children, widows, widowers, and homeless, or those in prison. Uh, Jesus put it on his followers to do it, the body of Christ to do it. And sometimes I'm not politically correct. Correct. I tell people sometimes. the body. Yes. Most <laughs> uh, I say the. The body of Christ has abdicated that responsibility to the government. They got lazy. They won. And I think that when God calls you to do things like that, he's calling you to pull you out of your comfort zone, and we fight it because it's not what we want to do. And when it comes to foster care and adoption, I think Christians say, well, the government's taking care of that. But if we answer the call as Christians to get out of our comfort zone and go serve, we're rewarded because he empowers us to cope with what's going to come our way if we're really going to do it. And I think Christians have to get over this fear or lack of being politically correct, laziness of handing it over to another agency to do. We're the body of Christ. We're supposed to be the ones doing this. We're not supposed to hand it off to a government. We're not supposed to hand it off to strangers. We're empowered by Christ to do this. We've got to have the courage to step up and do it. And Christians have to stand up and step up to the responsibilities and, and not hand it over to some other group to do it for them. And I, Sorry, I know you guys all have stuff you want to add to this, but one thing I'd like to add to that is, you need to think about before you answer, is why is it that our group, and I say us as Christians as, as a whole, where it's so much easier for us to stand up and argue about pro-life and pro-choice, but we're not willing to go out and take a interest in children. Well, I think, you know, when you're arguing, that's just words. That's mm-hmm. not action. Yeah. It's, it's, e- it's easy to spout your opinion. It's hard, whether it's, it's hard to take action regardless of what direction you're moving, whether you want to start a business or quit your job or go on a mission or go into foster care. It's going to take action. And when you are doing something that God has called you to do, you're guaranteed to be uncomfortable in that position because that's what God does. He makes you uncomfortable to show you where you need to be fixed and how you can be better. And as Justin said earlier, you lay down your life and your plans and it gets ugly, but then it gets good because you find where you're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, something else too is um, because Glenn will be 60 and I'm 55. And a lot of things that are out there in our society say once you hit um, the retirement age, then you, know, you are just going to be sailing. You know, go spend your time vacationing, spend your time. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that you, um, you now you may have more time to, uh, you know, to give. And just because you are older and that you retired um, does not mean you're giving up on life. You you know, we would go nuts if, well, we'd probably hurt each other if we stayed home together all the time. And it's just, 
we you're not life's not supposed to end when you retire you have you know whatever have time you have left to make such an impact and as older people you know that you can uh, mentor you can you know go in in different ways with people so it's not like just because you know you have folks that say you know I served in my church when I was younger so now it's somebody else's turn well it's not about taking turns you know you are never um, you never retire from God's work yeah as a Christian you have no retirement plan while you're on the earth yeah. your retirement plan is when you get to heaven and you get your rewards <laughs> yeah. here if you retire personally I feel if you retire as a Christian and stop serving God's will and other people while you're on the face of the earth. To me, I'm just respecting everything that Christ did for me hanging on that cross by checking in and, and saying I'm retired as a Christian. Uh, I need to go find things to do. And usually he'll give me something to do. And it is scary. And I may resist it. And I use the metaphor that Christ will take that two by four and tap me until he gets my attention and say this is what I need you to do for me. Do this. I will help you do this. And a lot of things that he's called me to do, like prison ministry, is not what I would have told you that I want to do. But once I got involved in it, it was rewarding. It, and it, the adoption, I never went into marriage thinking that we were going to adopt. But when life hit us and we went through the process of working through it and the adoption, it's one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life. It showed me that I can unconditionally love somebody that I don't really know. And the instant I saw my son for the first time, I loved him. Just like when he was born, I loved him. And my boys are miracles in two different ways, but they're my sons. They're gifts from God. And we are gifts from God to each other. And we've got to treat each other as though we're brothers and sisters and we've got to treat each other as Christ would treat us or for each other we're family and don't hand it over to somebody else I wouldn't hand my sons over to somebody else to take care of that's for me well all of you are my brothers and sisters that's my responsibility to help take care of you and all the people that I don't know that's my responsibility as a Christian to help take care of you either physically myself or helping other people realize that's their call too as a Christian. There's been a couple of comments around the table about God didn't design governments to raise children. He designed families to do that. And, and I would just venture to say, let's go back even earlier in God's creation. God didn't design families to be broken. You know, if you think back to the garden, God created a paradise and we had choice and we, we made bad choices and we have sin and brokenness. And so the brokenness exists. Um, we have to keep in mind that governments created the foster system to keep kids safe, and that's a good thing. But from there, compassionate people need to step into that system and be part of it so that it works better than it does. Um, so, Grant, back to your earlier question, why don't Christians, why don't Christ followers do more of this? Um, I'll just m mention two things from a perspective of the individual Christian or the Christian family, but also from the Christian church. One of the big reasons is just the frantic busyness of our culture. We all are busy. If you live in North America, you're busy, and that's okay. But that doesn't allow you to abdicate your responsibility to what God might be calling you to do. Um, so busyness is one. Fear is the other, right? What kind of stories about foster care make the media? They're all bad. 
there's a million good stories for every bad story, but they don't make the media. And so that's part of the blessing of this session here is thanks for giving us a chance to say to share some of the good stories. Um, but there is difficulty and trauma in this process. Um, but it goes back to, is this about me and my selfishness or is it about me stepping into the life of someone else? Um, from a church's perspective, I see the, the same thing. Churches in this country are some of the busiest organizations. The pastors and the leaders are some of the busiest people on earth. And so part of it is they just don't have time or can't find the time to figure out is my church called to get into orphan care or foster care or safe families or any of the above? That's one of the, the challenges. Um, and, uh, and so we ask pastors just um, learn a little bit about what's going on with vulnerable children in your community and just ask God, is he calling your church to get involved? There's a, there's a, there's a funny uh, saying that a lot of people talk about. It's a nice mathematical equation. I don't really like it. They talk about in Cincinnati, for example, there's 4,000 some churches. In across the greater Cincinnati, there's roughly 4,000 kids in, in government custody. And so people talk about, wouldn't it be great if every church just took care of one child? Mathematically, that's a nice equation, a nice story. Part of what we found is it's better if a church, rather than saying it will take on one child, if a church builds a community and a culture of orphan care and foster care, because you can't do this in isolation. It's too hard to do. If you have just one family in a church doing this, uh, and they're on their own, and they're not surrounded by a bunch of other people that are on the same journey, guess what? Marriages suffer. Families suffer from the isolation. Uh, then when difficult things happen, that family uh, spreads the word through the church that foster care is messy and you don't want to be part of it. And suddenly there's a whole church that's gone from indifference to anti-foster care because it wasn't done well and it wasn't done in community. It wasn't done according to God's will. And so uh, I would love to see more Christians get engaged in this. I would love to see more churches get engaged, um, but following what God's calling them to do and not kind of going off in an isolated pattern and just randomly trying to save the world. Mm -hmm. I have a real quick question um, for all three of you. I know there's a lot of folks out there, and since Glenn and I haven't been involved at all in, in the foster system, I know um, from hearing other people talk that they think that their family has to be perfect. Their house has to be perfect. And I think, you know, for people that are out there that are listening to this right now, what can you say to them? Because, I mean, our house, you know, you oh, perfect is totally not it, and you, you know, swim through the dog hair and... And also, it, it, you know, for the other folks to hear just how real. Or they think they have to get everything in order before. Right. Yeah. They before. Yeah. It's a great question because there's some truth to that, right? You've got, yeah. you can't be completely dysfunctional and walk into this. Yeah, you're never going to be perfect, right? No, I mean, every time I talk to a family who's getting ready to have their uh, home study done. They're terrified. Like they're going to notice I'm not perfect. I'm like, yeah, they know that already walking in the door. They're not looking for you to be perfect. They just want to make sure you're not going to abuse the kid or neglect the kid. That's their benchmark, yeah. right? If you have somewhat of a functional, healthy family, you're already, you go back to Chris's question, are you called? And you have some foundation there. That's the right question. Are you called? And, you know, to speak on the condition of your home, <laughs> It will, 
the cleanest it's going to be is at the home study. It yeah. just goes down from there. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I live in a 200-year-old house, and that always has projects, and it always has undone projects. And there's, you know, it is the, I have wallpaper peeling off the <laughs> second floor hallway. I can't reach it. It's fine. You know, yes. um, your house can't be dilapidated. You know, but there's there's always projects, regardless yeah. of where you are. There's always projects, and you don't have to have every project done, and you don't have to have every towel folded, and you don't have to have the dog hair swept up. And, you know, again, you don't want to live in filth, right? you know, but my house re regularly looks like a daycare exploded yeah. on the second floor, and that's <laughs> the way it is. The clothes get clean. They don't ever get folded. If you're looking for outfit, it's in the dryer. It's just in the yes. dryer. That's where it so is. So it's real. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, I think, what a lot of people need to hear is it's it, real. It's, it's real life. It's real life. And, you know, and it's not, gosh, you know, I think sometimes reality TV does some horrible things for us. And you see like Kate <laughs> right. or the Dugers with their 19 children and everything's spotless in their house. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's not real. You know, but, yeah. um, you know, you have to have your head, your head together is probably the most important thing you have to have together. Yeah. And your ha your family, I think, should be as unified as possible going into this. But as far as the condition of your house, you know, you don't need all those projects done. You have you don't have to have all your laundry folded. It's never gonna happen. And you do not have to be a person that's of wealth. No, 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 no. And you don't have to be married, and you don't have to own your own right. home. You know, and I'm I'm a single mom. Yeah. You know, and I and you know, I think it's important to have a good village. I, you know, if you're going to do this as a single person, have some support around you, you know, and, and, and if it's not your parents or friends or your siblings, get support, hopefully from a church that yeah. you belong to with, you know, because as Chris said, you can't, you can't do it in isolation, but you don't have to do it in a partnership either. And Alyssa touched on, um, there's no perfect family scenario. You can do this as single. You can do it married. You can do it as empty nesters. You can do it as young people. Uh, you can do it from different economic backgrounds, different ethnic, different racial backgrounds. All of all of the people of God um, really need to step into this journey if they're called to do so. Well, as we round out today's discussion, um, I want to pose one last question to each of you, if you don't mind sharing, and you guys can start. How has foster care or adoption changed your life? So how's it brought you, where are you now compared to where you were when you first started this adventure? Well, you're more gray. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, for me, it's been a great blessing. And our son, when he came home to us, I was raised by parents who were in the South and deep South. And our son is multiracial. And we brought him into a, a community that didn't have very many minorities. And when Terry and I and Grant met Hunt for the first time, like I said earlier, I fell immediately in love with him. And he's been a blessing in our my life because he views life, I, I nicknamed him Goose, because when he, he wakes up in the morning, he's in a new world, he's happy and everything, and it's a completely different personality than I am. And he helps me see the world through different eyes. And he's helped me through his experience and how he deals with his uniqueness in the community. Helped me realize that all things are possible. And he has blessed me because from 
day one, he showed me unconditional love, even though I'm not perfect. And he's helped me grow in Christ because of that. I think that uh, he's also touched the community because he's gone in that community and his uniqueness, he puts it out there for everybody to see. And one of the great things that helps me explain that is I'm blonde hair, gray beard, and white. My son is the exact negative photograph of me. A neighbor behind us was sitting at dinner with his parents and they brought the fact that my son was adopted. And the boy looked at his parents and said, why didn't you tell me that? Why did you never tell me that Goose was adopted? And it showed the perfect focus that God wants us to have on each other. They saw my son as a member of my family, not the uniqueness in the way he looked. They did, he didn't, this boy didn't even see that he never didn't look like me. He didn't have the blonde hair, blue eyes, and he just saw him as a member of a family, a member of a community. And I think that's the greatest thing that my son was able to share with me is that I can go in a community and be me and people only see me for who I am and none of the labels that society puts on. And uh, he's helped me grow in that because he's helped me and my other ministries because in my other ministries, I'm the one that's the minority when I go into the prisons. I'm the one that looks different. And it's helped me learn how to get them to see me as me and not as somebody different. And I think with um, with me, it, the whole process and all has taught me patience because that's, that's a tough thing to learn mm. is patience through everything. And also to be so much more cognizant of the folks that um, are going through some some other you know, struggle in their life and all things that I took granted, and then like you had said, go ahead and use the word laziness that I could just kind of drift through life and just and and this makes me when from the time that Hunt came home to us, it made me recognize that that I am commanded by God to you know to care for people that um, are not able to care for themselves. I think perhaps the greatest impact of having been a foster parent and a safe family's parent and now an adoptive parent is it, it can't help but draw you closer to God. Um, I grew up in many ways with the American dream, two-parent home. We were well cared for. I got an education. I got a job. I made good money. I could take care of myself. I learned, you know, the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I, I love the American dream. I think that's a, it's a wonderful component, but it's an incomplete picture of God's kingdom. It's only part of, the, part of the picture. Part of what happens in that American dream is we don't really need God. You don't need to lean on a Savior when you can provide for everything, at least physically, in your own life. And, uh, and that was my story. Um, I, you know, you check off all the things that you think you need. I had it all, and I did it all myself. Um, so why do you need God in that equation? Well, suddenly you've got a broken child or a broken sibling group uh, in your home who you love and who um, aren't always angelic in their behavior. And so you've got turmoil, you've got joy, you've got all kind of things. Um, I, to this day, um, weep almost daily over some sort of 
trauma or hurt or wound or loss that gets reflected inside my home. And, uh, and what it's taught me is turn to God. Pray to Jesus in those moments because he's listening. He wants us to connect. And so thank God for the American dream. But, but what's the rest of that equation? And uh, welcoming someone else's child into your home in one way or another is a way for me that has um, strengthened my faith, drawn me closer to God, taught me to depend on a Savior that I'm supposed to depend on rather than depending on a bunch of things that, frankly, aren't dependable. And so it's just been incredibly spiritually and eternally transformative for me. I think for me, this experience has um, showed me how broken I am or was and still am and getting better. <laughs> um I, I came into this experience, I came in, I, I came into foster care thinking I had it all together. I had it together. I had a business that I had started from the ground and, and went forward and I had my money in place. I had my education in place. I had my family in place. I was together and yeah, I'm not together. I'm not ever together. And, and, it, and, it, and it brought that to my, to my attention in, in, in two very real ways. The first being that um, I am a type A personality where I have control over everything. And I have control over what goes on in my family and those decisions that made and my business and what gets decisions that made. And then foster care, I have control over nothing. And that was a real learning experience for me. Um, and it's okay not to have control that j just being able to say it's okay not to have control that, you know, God's got his hands on this and I might not know the plan and have to have that trust. That's been, that's been a huge learning experience. The second thing I think I really learned going in was how materialistic our culture is and how I was mentally, you know, going into this, you know, having a nice house and having the right car. And I want to make sure that my kids can go to the right schools and get into college and have everything they need and go on vacations and have the perfect childhood. And we were heading that, we were heading that route. And, you know, then foster care comes crashing in and, you know, you, you, I, I, I try and incorporate a lot of those things with my foster care kids too. If we're going on vacation, they're coming with me. And I didn't realize they could wreck a vacation. <laughs> they can wreck a vacation because they can't handle some of those big, big things yet. And I have to be okay. I have to be okay with that, that, you know, maybe this, this plan didn't, you know, again, the control thing, this, I had all this planned out and yeah. it didn't go the way it was gonna, you know, but do they need that? Do, do my kids need another vacation this year or do they need more of my time? And you know, I had, it really struck home when I had a seven-year-old girl who was living with me said, Miss Alyssa, do you know how I know you're rich? And I was, I was like, all right, could have been anything following that. And she said, I know you're rich because you always have electricity and food. Wow. I said, oh, you're right. You know, you're right. I always have plenty of food and I always have my electricity on and that, you know, you're right. I don't, everything else is just, it doesn't matter. So we've been able to back away from some of that stuff. And, you know, we don't go on as many vacations as I think the kids would like or, you know, do the camps or buy the clothes. And, you know, and, and, and they don't have every time they every time my kids say, can I have the answer is not always yes anymore. And that's been good for all of us. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Beautiful. As I 
I could agree with what everyone's already said on many levels. And I think we ask the question, why is it so difficult to do this? Because you have to be all in. You can't go on Sunday and then go back to your other life. Like, and, and the way you experience God is not through a textbook, not necessarily through a worship service, although you might. You experience God to its fullest by living an all-in life. When it's 24-7, all in, you're surrendered, laid down. And adoption, foster care, all does that. Better than in America, anything that I have ever seen compared to. There's no better way to get closer to God. I mean, everything is, everyone's saying the same thing in a lot of ways. When you are all in, you get to experience God in ways you never, never could by going to church on Sunday, being in a small group, by doing a Bible study, which are all great things. But it's not something you learn. You experience God by laying down your life. And then you find something that you never even knew was there. And we're so surprised when the Bible is true. But it is. It's quite amazing. We've had, I'm going to ask Anaya some questions here to close up. We've had a neat experience with her and her birth family. We were actually able to stay in touch with her birth family. And it's been really neat. She might say something about this or she might not. But what is your birth mom's name? Go ahead. What's your birth mom's name? Isis. Isis, right? And what does... And then what about your birth grandmother's name? Bianca. Bianca, right? And do they ever come over to our house? Yeah. Is that real fun when they come over? Yeah. So she's nodding her head saying yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we've had just incredible relationships, and they're exploring and tap dancing with the idea of who God is, and we're able to be a witness, and they're really thankful for uh, seeing their daughter in such a healthy, wonderful place. They're unbelievably appreciative of that experience. And so we've had, I have not enough time to tell you all the miracles that we've seen God done, uh, being in the front lines working for the Lord. And it's been amazing. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, sitting down today and, and talking about this. And hopefully we can do more stuff like this in the future just to get stories out there. And, you know, it's the same thing when we talk about prison, you know, it's just to humanize this idea of foster care and adoption, um, to get stories out there so that the stories that are being told aren't the things you're seeing on the news, but what's happening in homes and lives being changed and, and God doing work in places that people don't even realize. Um, so I, I want to um, thank you again and encourage you to know that um, I, I know thank you might not be said enough, to everyone who does this, but um, you know God is very pleased with you. And while the world might not say it and might not know it, we are appreciative for all the work um, that you are doing for God in his kingdom. Um, and so we can round out this podcast. Justin, do you mind praying for us? God, everyone who's listening right now, Lord, whose ears are perked, that may be hearing your call, about foster care or adoption, Lord, I just pray you grant them the faith to take one step. May your peace and may your spirit dwell on them. Because I know, God, you are just waiting for people to step forward and get in the game that you have so richly called us to. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.